we are uh, we're going to get started in a message, a new message series today uh, in a, a passage of scripture that may or may not be very familiar to you. Probably at least heard the name of it, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus well-known teaching. So we're just going to start with a, a short passage that begins with that. But I would like to make Bible available to you. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, Stephen and Dexter will um, uh, just walk down the aisle. If you need a Bible, give them a wave. And um, if you are not sure about how to get a Bible, you can talk to one of us. We'll help you. The translation I normally use here is New Living Translation, NLT. And I use that because it is probably the most readable uh, translation of the Bible. Uh, if, you're, if you're wanting to do serious sort of Bible study, there's probably some other translations I would recommend. But for just good Basic reading, it's a, it's a great translation for that. So we're starting in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. So if you find your way to the New Testament, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And we're calling this series Better Than Good. Everybody wants to be good, but Jesus says you could be better than good. Well, we're going to learn what that means as we go along. Today we're talking about what we really need. But I want to start by asking you a question. I wonder if you've I wonder if you've ever gone out of your way to to meet, you know, like a celebrity, a, a well-known, famous person. Uh, maybe you went to a taping of a TV show uh, many, many years ago. I saw a taping of the Dennis Miller show. He had a show for a short time. I don't know if anybody remember Dennis Miller. It wasn't that good, and which is why he didn't last that long. And um, or, or you know, maybe I ask you this way: you know, how far would you travel? And how much would you pay for the ticket to see your favorite band, your favorite artist, your favorite comedian, your favorite entertainer of some kind? Last last summer, um, my wife and I uh, attended a concert in San Jose uh, of a group, uh, well, it's a couple of groups we really enjoy. And uh, of all things, sitting beside me, I got talking to this guy beside me, and he was a pastor from Texas that they'd kind of built their California vacation around this concert. Because I really wanted to see this concert. And um, I'm so glad I behaved myself. Um, and he did too. So I think, you know, uh, I behaved myself. Come on. Uh, now, what if, let me ask this another way. What if, you were, what if you were sick or you had some serious physical problems or serious mental health problems? How far would you travel to see someone who could cure you? You'd heard about it in this in the office this week. We were talking about alternative medical treatments that people sometimes pursue for various illnesses. And maybe you've done that. Maybe they're legit. I I don't know. Invariably, it seems that the alternative practitioners are always in like Idaho or Utah or New Mexico. And I think that's because those are the states where you can easily hide from the authorities if there's a problem. But, you know, but what if you'd heard about about someone who, who really could do miracles, who really could do miracles. And maybe, you know, you know, maybe your sister-in-law or your cousin or your co-worker could show you something about their body that had been healed. Wouldn't you want to go see that for yourself if you had a need? Well, from the earliest days of Jesus' public ministry, now we're talking 2,000 years ago in Israel, from the very earliest days, People heard about the amazing things Jesus did, and they traveled from far and wide to experience it and to experience Jesus for themselves. So we're going to read about this in a moment, but I want to explain why this is so 
crucial, why this is so important. The, the widespread attention that Jesus received for his miracles is both what got him in trouble with the authorities and what made his teaching possible. Right? So the miracles were amazing and it's what drew people in. But his teaching what was, what, is what was really radical about him. So the passage that, that we're going to read in starting in Matthew chapter 4 verse 23. This passage that we're going to read and all the attention that Jesus gained from doing miracles and in casting out demons and all these signs and wonders is really a setup for what is Jesus' most famous teaching, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So for the next ten weeks, we're going to just reflect on this passage of Scripture and, and look into this great sermon that Jesus preached to see what Jesus wanted to pour into the lives of of the people who were coming to him for miracles day after day. And the sermon that, as we have it, I, I'm quite sure most scholars would agree, it's just a, a summary of a larger body of teaching that Jesus likely gave, and it wouldn't include everything that Jesus taught on that particular day. Keep in mind that Jesus would have repeated his teachings in place to place. He was an itinerant preacher. He was an itinerant rabbi, itinerant minister. So he would have shared very much similar things as he went from place to place to place. It wasn't like he could just put it on a podcast back in those days. And so we're going to read chapter four of Matthew, starting in chapter four, verse 23. And as we is our practice here, invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew 4:23 It says Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom and he healed every kind of disease and illness and news about him spread as far as Syria and people that's further to the north and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, or what's called the Decapolis, um, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. Chapter 5 says, One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. We'll stop there today. Let's be seated. We give thanks to the Lord for his word for us this morning. So I want you to imagine, imagine this image with me, if you will. Jesus, Jesus had already invited some of his, uh, some of the men that would become his closest followers to come along him. Peter and Andrew, James, John, as you go along, you're going to, you know, you're going to hear those names a lot as you read in the gospels. Um, and he'd already brought them along with him. And now they're, they've got this town by town approach. They're taking on the whole Galilee area. I've got a map here about, of Galilee. It's about 200 and, you know, roughly 275 square miles. So if you imagine that you're on the 99, kind of on the top end of Fresno and, and you, from there to like, you know, the exit to the 152 exit, if you're going to go over to Santa Cruz and then you, you stretch across maybe from there to the Pacheco Pass and just imagine a big rectangle. That's about the kind of area we're talking about and they're on they're on foot and they're going place to place and doing ministry it's a pretty 
broad area, pretty, pretty expansive, uh, expansive area. And they, they go to many synagogues and villages, um, you know, and they, they, uh, they just, they kind of teach and, and do, and, and these miracles, they're healing the sick, they're delivering the demon possessed, and people just keep coming. But the people are coming from further and further and further away because they want to experience this for themselves. Um, I, I gotta say, you know, maybe, maybe I, how many of you have been to that area of the Galilee? Some of you have traveled there. Isn't it amazing? I'm, I'm, um, working with a tour guide right now, a tour operator that, if possible, we would like to make a, a v- available a trip to that area next November. If you're interested, you can talk to me after the service. But um, it's just a remarkable thing to see as Jesus traveled in these places. Now, it probably is not something we see today very much. I wish we would see more. There seems to be a shortage of these amazing miracles. But when something really dramatic is happening in a church, even today, people really do travel to get there. Bethel Church up in Reading is a good example of this. People, maybe you've heard about Bethel Church, but people have been traveling, honestly, from all around the world. They come there. They want to see for themselves, what are these things that we're hearing about? What's, what is this that God's doing in this place? Because they've heard reports of the amazing things happening there, and they've heard stories of the miracles and deliverances and the signs and wonders, and they want to experience it for themselves. Well, what's truly amazing is that in the middle of all this fame and frenzy that Jesus is experiencing on a day-to-day basis, Jesus, Jesus stopped and, and he, he looked around and he, he began to teach the people, all those crowds. And as we look more at this Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see that Jesus will teach a, a way to live in God's kingdom community. The miracles are great and the miracles are important and and fantastic. And you'll see that Jesus will continue to perform those miracles. But more important than the miracles are what he's going to teach them. Jesus' great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is going to cover things like, like religion and faith and relationships and attitudes and marriage and sex and integrity and money and anger and forgiveness and spiritual habits and eternity and more. It's a, it's a wide ranging message in a short span. And we need to hear and absorb and apply what Jesus teaches us because of this reason. And if you're taking notes today, if there's a, there's a note page in your program, you can jot this down, that we want Jesus to fix our life, but Jesus wants to fill your life. We want him to fix it, but he wants to fill it. We want a, we want a solution when Jesus says, I want to give you myself in this time. See, we, we want Jesus to meet our needs, but Jesus wants to meet us. He wants to meet you, the person. Jesus, you know, we, we, we want to you know, kind of fix the problems and move on. But there might be some deeper problems that need to be addressed. And he's willing to do that. Now, people traveled all those great distances in the hope that Jesus would heal them or deliver them from demonic oppression. Right. Would would deliver their, their loved ones plagued by disease or mental illness. But it seems that Jesus saw and recognized that a that a fix to a problem is only part of the solution to really restore a person's life. You know, I've had friends that have come out of a life of addiction and they know that quitting alcohol or, or drugs or pornography or gambling, they know that that's only a step in recovery. It's only part of it. 
And, and really the bigger piece is learning to live in a new way. Learning to live, leave behind an old life and learn to live a new life. And Jesus wants to set people free. But the better part, even than that, is learning to live in a new way of trusting in Him, relating to God's people, being filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to fix for our life. Jesus wants to fill your life. It's a big difference. Now, it's not that Jesus started with a healing ministry and then switched over to teaching. It's not a, you know, it's not a bait and switch. It wasn't just a gimmick to get people attracted. You can see from the start that Jesus, all the way from the very beginning, is about teaching, right? Verse 23 says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news of the kingdom. The good news is that you're saved not by keeping the law, but you're saved by grace um, through your faith in, in him, right? And he healed every kind of disease and illness and so on. But he began with teaching. That was his, that was his pattern. That was his mode. And, and, and I'm, you know, the miracles that I don't want to minimize them, that they're real and they're important and they're awesome, but those were supporting his teaching. But by stopping to teach, by putting effectively a big time out on it, right, Jesus was pouring himself into the lives of his disciples, into the lives of those who would listen to him. Jesus was doing more than fixing problems. He was giving them a new way to live. We, you know, it's like this. We want the gift, but we really need a relationship with the giver. You see this at kids at, at Christmas time. You know, you, 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 you give them a, a, a present and they just tear it open. And you want them to like stop and say, oh, thank you. This is great. And they just want to like tear into it and off they go. Right. But we want the gift. But there's a giver behind that gift and he wants to know you and have a relationship with you and he wants to raise up the quality of your life. He wants to fill you. Because there are challenges we face in life that are bigger than we can handle on our own. It's funny, I was in a Starbucks, uh, I think it was a Starbucks the other day and I overheard these two women talking and the woman was just saying how hard everything is right now and she says, I know, I know God won't give you more than you can handle, but honestly, she goes, I don't know how much more of this I can take. And I, I, you know, I was debating, should I, you know, you know my thing about eavesdropping, right? So I decided to restrain myself, but I wanted to say, nowhere does the Bible say that God will not give you more than you can handle. The reality is you're often going to get more than you can handle. That's why you need him. That's why you need the Lord, because you're going to get more than you can handle. And it's in those moments you think, God, there's more than I can handle. I need you. I need your strength through me. I need you to do this. I need you to take over in my life. And that's what he's wanting to do. He doesn't want to just fix the problem. He wants to meet you. He doesn't want to just fix your life. He wants to fill your life. And you, you might be praying for something right now. You're asking God for a healing or a miracle of some kind, a restoration in a relationship. You, you want things to get better. And I believe you're right to ask I believe it's the, it's the good thing to ask and to believe and, and to get others to pray with you and to pray for you because God does miracles. But don't miss this fact that Jesus wants to do more than that. He wants to do more than that. He will be glorified through your life and even through your trials. And he wants to fill your life. He wants to teach you how to live in a way that makes an eternal difference. Sometimes by 
resolving the problems in your life, sometimes by using those problems to make him even greater. Okay, so how does this happen? How, how do we get there? Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse 1 gives us a little clue. It says, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down and his disciples gathered around him. By disciples, don't read that that's only the closest 12. We understand because you can see later at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says the crowds were amazed at his teaching. By disciples, it means those who were following him sat down and gathered around him. Sitting was a, was a typical posture of a good rabbi in that day. You sat down to teach and gathered around. Um, but it would seem that the, you know, the followers sit down as well. And honestly, we could do the same. Because a disciple of Jesus sits down when Jesus does. If you're taking notes, you can write that one down. A disciple of Jesus sits down when Jesus does. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, you've, you know, because you've heard me talk about this before. And, you know, do you ever to, do you ever slow yourself down? Do you ever get yourself in a posture where you're seated and you stop to listen and hear what Jesus would have to say? Right, I have, a, I have a Thursday morning group. We meet at Starbucks, 6.30 Thursday mornings at the Starbucks right here, Cedar and Shepherd, where we take a little time to read the scripture and do our devotions together. What are we doing? We're sitting down with Jesus so we can hear what he has to teach us. I invite, it's for men, I invite you to join me. Because I get that we're busy, right? You probably work long days or long weeks or even in retirement, your time is busier than you. You wonder how you ever had time to go to work now that you're retired, right? Or you're at home with high-energy kids all day long. And then the last thing you feel like doing, the last thing you think is even possible to get up an extra 10 or 15 or 30 minutes in the morning to sit down with the teacher, Jesus. And you can learn things from Jesus on the go. I, I, that's very true. And I hope you do. And you can train yourself to keep your eyes open to what Jesus is doing in the midst of things. But there's something essential about learning to sit down with Jesus. Some pause in your life, some break, some way that you you force yourself to say, I will slow down. I'm going to open up scripture. I'm going to I just strongly encourage a, a notebook. So we, we talk about here the R&R journal, a, a consistent reading plan. And, and, and taking notes where you write down a verse maybe that's meaningful to you and you reflect on it. What's Jesus saying to me today? And what's my response to him? I encourage you to do that in a regular, regular way. You parents, you, you know how this goes, right? You've had some uh, really great moments with your children on the fly, in the car, you know, in the kitchen. You're making something, you're doing this, you're going there. And you're just like really kind of like sweet comments. Something comes out of the blue. It's like, oh, that was great, right? But... But there are times when you need to have a little more serious conversation. You say, kids, I need you to sit down. Right? There's moments where we need to say, I'm going to pour something into your life. Right? Why, why in a classroom do, do students sit at desks? They won't, the teacher doesn't just teach kids as they just run around and do whatever. They sit down so that they can hopefully be taught. I'm looking at the teachers, looking exasperated at me like, Brian, you have no idea. I know. I have no idea. Take a seat, Jesus says. We need to talk. 
Jesus accomplished a lot. But Jesus wasn't on the go all the time. Some, some people, maybe you're one of them, some people keep themselves too busy. Right? And you know that you keep yourself too busy. You eat your breakfast standing in the kitchen. Or in the car on the way to work. Or you're doing your makeup while you're driving and talking on your phone at the same time. Some of you are very skilled at that. Or you're parenting over the phone between commitments. One thing to the next. You're catching up on paperwork late at night. You're on the go all the time. And I guarantee, I guarantee that you and I are never going to match. We just can't match Jesus' accomplishments even with a crazy schedule. Somehow, Jesus knew that to do more, sometimes you have to do less. Simplify your life. Cut some things out so you can spend some time, so you can get to sit down with Jesus. This matters for more than just your own personal fulfillment. Right? This is... This is not just about personal fulfillment. Sitting down to hear Jesus speak, letting Jesus speak into your life and fill your life is not so you can live a more fulfilled, more accomplished life. Jesus did not come to be your personal trainer or your life coach or lead you to be more self-actualized. When Jesus sat down to teach, it was not one-on-one counseling. Jesus taught in community for the benefit of others and each other. Everything Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount equips us to live better, not just like for me, but better for the community, better for God's kingdom people. We could say it this way. It's the third thing. If you're writing stuff down, this is the third and final thing you can write down today. That the Jesus life is an invitation into true community. The Jesus life is an invitation into true community. Perhaps in our Western version of Christianity, we may have kind of overemphasized the, you know, your personal decision to follow Jesus Christ and miss that when you put your faith in Christ, you become a part, a part of the body of Christ. It is a personal decision. It really and truly is. No one can make the decision for you. You decide Will I turn from my sin and turn and follow God? Will I put my faith in Jesus to forgive me and make me new? That's what it means to become a believer in Christ, Jesus. That's what it means to become a Christian. You personally make that decision. But while it's personal, it's not private. It's not private. The Jesus life is a life of and in community. Your faith in Christ places you in this body, in this family, you know, in this community. You really are, to quote an old song, a brick in the wall of a spiritual temple that God is building for his glory and his fame. And so when we do life together, honestly, we thrive, we flourish, we do better when we do life and when we follow Jesus together. And when you go it on your own, it is honestly much, much harder. For example, I, I'm sometimes asked to help couples in their marriage. And sometimes I send them to a counselor, and that, that's helpful, and I encourage that. I'm, my wife and I have done that ourselves. But sometimes it's been just as helpful, or you know, along with that, it's helpful to get them into a small group. What, here what we call connection groups. Or you know, a class like, like the marriage course, for example. We've taught that before, and we'll do that again. Because it's in a group 
they, the greatest discovery they make is that, hey, we're not the only ones who are messed up. It's a great light bulb moment. Like, oh, wait a second. Other people have problems too? Yes. If you're only ever focused on your own problems, you're not going to do very well. But when you learn to care about others and recognize, hey, we're actually in this all together. It really helps. Problems are kind of normal. And then they get surrounded by people who can help them in hard times or pray with them or share their own experiences to help one another. The Christ life is not meant to be lived privately. It's a life of true community. The New Testament is full of one another commands like love one another, pray for one another, carry the burdens of one another, meet regularly with one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another and on. There's more. But I'll warn you that true community has a tendency to be messy at times. It means you're going to have some people in your life who need extra grace. A little extra grace required with with people. That's okay. Sometimes you're the extra grace required person. Sometimes I'm the ex- most of the time I'm the extra grace retired re- required person. Right? It means you you will often give up your own preferences for the benefit of each other. It means you means you applaud the success of others even if you're losing in the process. It's totally worth it. You know, I've been in different small groups and connection groups, different places, we call them different things for for a long time. And I I, I confess, many times, you know, it's group night and it's it's an hour before, and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm just not feeling up to it tonight. But I'm hosting and leading. And then, you know, and then a couple of people cancel. And it's like, oh, we're down to only two or three people. Man, maybe I should cancel. And then I get have my evening back to myself. And invariably, we have the meeting. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad we had group tonight. It was so great. Oh, I'm so thankful we didn't bail on this. Again and again. It's happened oftentimes. And it's not personal. It's not because I don't want to be with the people that are coming. It's just... You're busy, you've had a tiring week, you're exhausted, lots is going on. You think, I just want a little me time. I just want a little me time. And Jesus says, There's, I've got something better from that. I'm going to have a little we time. And it's good. And it's good. So those of you who are in my connection group, I'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock. I'm looking forward to having you. And I won't cancel. Uh, just bring your extra grace because you have to put up with me. Listen, friends, in these next 10 weeks, consider this whole message series to be an invitation. It's an invitation for Jesus to do more than fix your life, but to also fill your life. And, and I will say this, you're going to have to sit down when Jesus sits down so he can pour himself into you. And then... The last thing and probably the hardest thing is to choose to let your guard down so you can step into the true community of the Jesus life. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're grateful. We're grateful for this great message that you have for us, this, this sermon that, that we're going to study together. Lord, we're, we're grateful that it's been preserved for us, Jesus. We're thankful that you didn't, you didn't just come, you didn't come to show off and just show us miracles and then, and then leave. You came to fill us. You came to teach us how to live. God, I just ask that you would give us hearts that are ready to receive from you and be filled by you. Lord, for the person today that's just, just hanging on by a thread this morning, 
God, I pray that you would encourage them. You, 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 would, you would turn that thread into a rope, first of all, and, and just give them hope. And, Lord, that we would just surround them, Lord, and you, by your Spirit, would surround them and just, just give them a, a hope for what you're going to do in their life. Lord, we, just, we, we need the reality of you on a day-to-day basis. Lord, for those that have cried out for, for days or weeks or months or years for that miracle, that, that restoration, God, I ask that you would just be so present in their life, present in their life. To show them really what what you have in store. God, we want to learn to trust you in all things. In all things. We're so grateful. And friends, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to give you this opportunity. Maybe Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never trusted Jesus to forgive your sin and make you a new person. Of what the Bible calls a new creation from the inside out. And you're saying, today I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm, I'm tired of running from God and I want to turn I want to run to Him. We call it repentance. Where you turn away from your old way and you turn to Him. And you put your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God to forgive your sin and make you a new person. Is there anybody like that today? If that's you, you would just raise your hand and we would pray together after the service. So I'd at least explain what that is. Anybody like that today? You say, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus today. For the rest of us, This is a week to begin to think, what would it mean if I sat with Jesus and let him fill my life and look for that life in community? God, we're grateful for what you're going to accomplish. We love you and we give you all our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.